This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. As many of us work from home during this coronavirus, the question of how the workday will look like moving forward is being discussed. That work may no longer be a traditional 8 to 4 or 9 to 5 workday. And that is especially the case as our children have also been home over the last few months. With schools closing in the spring and summer camps shutting down as well, the work from home also includes a parent from home component. But how do you build those work-life boundaries with these and other dynamics at play? Nancy Rothbard is a management professor and chair of the management department here at the Wharton School. She recently did an opinion piece on this topic, which appeared in Harvard Business Review, and she joins us now to discuss. Nancy, great to have you with us. Hope you're doing well. Hi, Dan. Great to be here. I am doing well. Thank you. Thank you. And and I guess I preface this with the news that came out earlier this morning, and I don't know if you've seen it yet, but Google has now made the move to have their employees work from home till at least the middle of next year. And and so we're just in this dynamic where the work from home component is going to be a, you know, it's going to continue to be an important factor for both people and for companies to figure out. Absolutely. So work from home, I think, is here to stay for quite some time, likely for many of us, uh, at least those of us who are in knowledge work jobs and can do work from home. So I think that there's a really important distinction, again, to make between workers who don't have the actually luxury to work from home and those whose work enables them to do so. You know, when when the the pandemic started, obviously, a lot of things were thrust at us very quickly. And and working from home, uh, I I guess, wasn't really a thought out process. Many of us just kind of had it thrust upon us. So in terms of of learning what's best and, and what works and what doesn't work, how much more do we still need to investigate a lot of what is going on right now, do you think? Well, I I think that there is a lot to learn, Dan. I I agree with you that this was a very quick uh, pivot that many of us had to do. And, you know, we do have research on work from home that was, you know, that existed prior to the pandemic, obviously. And in fact, that research gives us a lot of good tips and good um, guidelines for how to how to proceed. But I, I think it's also really important to recognize that the work from home situation now continues to be quite a bit different from the work from home prior to mid-March, at least in the U.S. and certainly earlier in other parts of the world. And, and when we think about this, it's very critical to understand those differences, you know, with children at home as well, with, you know, working at home with partners. It, it, it turns out that some of the work-life boundaries that we take for granted have shifted quite dramatically. And that's something that we have to be more conscious and intentional about maintaining. So how much concern then do you think we should think about the the boundaries of work-life balance? Because, I I mean, I think the expectation of of what a workday is is starting to shift in terms of it may not be eight to four, it may not be nine to five, maybe it's more like, you know, eight eight to six or eight to seven, but with some breaks built in. Absolutely. And there's actually some really fascinating data that Microsoft recently collected uh, that looked at their own workforce. And they found that people were working on average four hours longer per week uh, in this period. 
and and were uh, and that the days were extending, right? And so yeah. uh, there was a lot more instant messaging um, during the lunch hour than there used to be. There was a lot more uh, back and forth after you know traditional work hours, and so the the shape of the workday is certainly starting to shift. And so what I think we need to do to make sure that we're not getting overwhelmed by this is to be very intentional about taking breaks during the day, about, you know, carving out time for, uh, for certain tasks, carving out time for our team, carving out time for our individual work, and carving out time for our partners and other members of our family. So and how so, much, you know, these are, sorry, go, go ahead, finish up. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no. So these, so I think these are really important boundaries and um, uh, uh, constituencies that we need to think about as we set up the new form of our workday. Well, and I was going to ask you that just then, if that is kind of the potential game plan that we're looking at, there also has to be the recognition from the company that this is kind of going to be the dynamic moving forward as well, correct? Well, I think that it's just sort of, it's naturally evolving, right? As, as yeah. people are trying to figure out how to connect, you know, there's there's also more meeting times than we've seen in the past as people try to recreate some of the connections that naturally happened in the office. And so we really, um, we're really having to, it, it's just really evolving, I think. And, and I agree that organizations really need to take a hard look at what's happening and try to help people set some boundaries. Um, but at the end of the day, it's also important to recognize that people often also have different preferences mm-hmm. around what types of boundaries will work for them. And not, you know, one boundary-setting strategy may not work for another person. So right. there's, uh, there are what I call integrators versus segmenters in terms of people's work styles. Integrators are people who prefer to blur the boundaries between work and non-work life, whereas segmenters prefer to keep a very sharp distinction between their work and their non-work life. And so segmenters really, I think, are are used to actually creating a lot of really sharp and clear boundaries, but they have to do so even more in this new situation that we're living in, creating a space for themselves within the home where they can work undisturbed, setting time limitations on when they're working and when they're uh, engaged in family time. That's really, really important for segmenters. For integrators, they may be much more comfortable with a more fluid spatial setup. I'll, I'll confess, I'm an integrator. I sit in my kitchen and work. And, yeah. you know, that would not work for a segmenter. And so, you know, trying to kind of understand what, but, but yet I still need to set boundaries. And I still need to figure out which meetings do I have to, you know, create the bubble around me or go somewhere else. And which ones is it okay if my family walks behind me while I'm on a Zoom call, right? And so trying to be conscious and aware of those of those limits and those boundaries are, are really important. We're joined by Nancy Rothbard, who is a management professor and chair of the management department here at the Wharton School. We're talking about a piece that she just recently wrote uh, for Harvard Business Review that uh, looks at the issues of uh, work from home and and, uh, work-life balance, uh, especially in this time of coronavirus. So 
we we've used the term new normal a lot uh, in the last few months on this show uh, Nancy is this a new normal in terms of in terms of work and and work from home even well i think that it very much is for the next uh foreseeable future i don't th- i don't know that it will persist forever but i think in the in the near future we're certainly going to see many folks still engaging in remote work and many organizations encouraging their employees to do so. And so I think that this is this will persist for quite some time. There's some interesting data that came out in March that Gallup uh, did, Gallup did a survey uh, and found that over 60% of the U.S. population was working remotely at that time, which is really quite remarkable given that prior to that point, um, only depending on how you counted it, uh, 5% of people were working uh, remotely full-time and up, maybe up to 30% were working full-time, uh, I mean, part-time remotely. And so that shift to over 60% of the U.S. population working remotely is quite dramatic. Uh, and, and I think we were stretching jobs uh, that, that, are, that we can do remotely fairly yeah. easily. But, you know, as this um, continues to unfold, I think some of the stresses around working remotely really need to be addressed in terms of how people can best do their work and also not burn out. Obviously, it would be very hard to do a lot of this work from home without the levels of technology that we have. So how much will the technology uh, make work from home better, or I guess in certain circumstances it could make it worse because of the connectivity. Uh, so you could see a little bit of the of the plus and the minus of, of technology being involved in this. Absolutely, I think that technology has been absolutely critical in our ability to even do this. So the fact that we that sixty per, over sixty percent of the U.S. population were able to be working remotely uh, in March means it is due to technology. Um, so that said, it's it's an absolute requirement for this to be even feasible. However, I do agree that some of the of what we're seeing now is things like Zoom fatigue and people getting burned out with all of the meetings and the video conferencing. Um, I actually really, uh, I sometimes am deliberately setting up um, meetings on the phone just to give myself variety yeah. uh, in terms of how how I can um, communicate with people. And the fact that on the phone I can actually get up and walk around a little bit, not be stuck in my chair yeah. for hours and hours and hours, right? And so these are, these are really different um, technologies that enable us to do so, but understanding how and which technology to use I think is going to be really important. The other piece with Video conferencing te- technology is it's amazing in that you can see people, you feel more connected to them, you see more about what's going. You have a you have a, a visible window into their lives, literally. But that can also be intrusive for some people, where who are who are more private or who are more segmenting, in that they don't necessarily want you having that visible window into their life. And so that's a that's a real challenge um, in terms of managing this period as well. So then with some of those elements that you just laid out, 
in this potential work from home model, could it potentially move more towards like a two day a week in the office model and three days a week at home? I know that's been discussed with a lot of school districts for students, but whether or not that may be a, a, a more more prevalent option in the business world. Well, I, I actually think that that would potentially be a great option in many ways because the research on remote work and virtual teams actually suggests that the teams that work best who are virtual and who are not co-located are those who have some in-person experiences together, either a foundational set of in-personal experiences or kind of a, you know, a, touch, a touching base kind of set of experiences where they solidify their relationships, where they um, get to know each other, where they have, you know, foundational experiences that keep them together as a team. And so I, I actually think that if, if this does continue, you know, some partial remote and partial in-person could be a very effective model for the future. So in terms of those two types of, of, of worker, integrator and segmenter, uh, how do you think then, then they have been impacted by the coronavirus in general, do you think, over the last four months? Well, I think in terms of their work life, uh, this has been an extremely difficult time for segmenters. People who prefer to keep work and home life separate have not been able to do so to any meaningful t- degree if they are in the group that is uh, doing remote work. And that that is that takes a psychological toll, right? Because it's it's really antithetical to a, a core philosophical value that people hold and a preference that they have about how they enact their work and non-work lives. And so they've had to do a lot of work to try to recreate those boundaries and not get overwhelmed by them. I will say that for integrators, it's likely at base a little bit easier. However, for integrators, one of the challenges they'll have in this situation is not having the skills that segmenters have developed over the years to create those boundaries. Yeah. Integrators may not realize how, how this is even too much for them in terms of the blurring of these boundaries. And yeah. so trying to have integrators recognize the importance of building certain boundaries and to do it intentionally and um, with care is, 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 I think, important. And they may not have that natural uh, tendency to think about it in that way. And so, so it's really important. I actually, there was one of my readers made a comment on my article that um, she's an integrator, but what she does to try to manage some of this is she has a white box that she puts all of her stuff, her work stuff in at the end of the day. And, you know, from where, where she's working in, in her kind of living space and she kind of closes the box and puts it away. Right. And so yeah. thinking about how do you, how do you physically even manage the, the, the vestiges of your work uh, to create a home space is also really important for integrators as well. Well, and I wondered about it, Nancy, partly in in the scope of, you know, I'm a dad of three kids and, and you know, you you are still at a point right now where in a lot of parts of the country, the expectation is, is that kids are going to be at home 
doing their schoolwork come late August, early September. And so a lot of these people, whether it be segmenters or integrators, may have dealt with this to a degree in the spring when schools started to shut down. But now the potential is there that they may have to deal with this again come September and whether or not they've learned something from this and, and are able to adjust a little bit. I mean, I, I, I hope that they have, although I would say that it also – I think it, a lot of this depends on the age of your kids because learning stuff is, is helpful as an adult, but as you, as you have kids who still really need – a lot of assistance with the the distance learning um, that involves a lot of time on on parents' part. You know, for for people I know who have um, who have younger kids and who w- were doing schooling with them in the spring, you know, they a lot of them were sitting with their kids and doing the work with them, right? I mean, it, yeah. it was not just you you sit your kids in front of the TV and you can have the TV be the babysitter. That was not working, right? It was, it was, they had to actively work with their kids on distance learning. And that was very challenging. And so, you know, that, that will still continue to be a very difficult situation. Um, you know, I, I like, I have two kids. So like, like you do, I, I have kids as well who went through this and, you know, mine are, were in high school or are in high school. And so, it was a little easier in terms of that, you know, they were able to manage the distance learning much better on their own. Right. And so that's, I think that the, the type of family situation people are in is also going to really determine how well they can adapt to this situation. And I think that certainly they, people have learned things, but there's also some just basic structural challenges that will persist if this is like the spring. How much then should companies adapt to all of this going on with their employees? Well, I think that companies are really needing, they're going to need to adapt. It's not a, it's not a, should, should we do it? It's a, how do we do it? Because I think that, that this is an absolute, um, an absolutely critical turning point right in terms of our of, of our experiences and we we need companies to understand that it, it's not a sign that we're not committed to the organization if we're if we can't be present you know at a at a meeting that overlaps with maybe something that's going on with our child's schooling right and it, it, this is a this is a a, a really difficult quandary that many parents find themselves in. And so we need to try to be flexible as organizations and employers to help people find multiple ways of meeting their responsibilities. There can't just be one way. There has to be more flexibility. Nancy, great having you with us as always. Thanks very much for your time. And we'll talk to you again at some point down the road. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Thank you. Nancy Rothbard, management professor and chair of the management department here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.